this idea, this truth, as we were singing a moment ago, Abba, I belong to you, this truth that it's only the church, and when we say church, we don't mean this building, we're talking about those of us who are saints, redeemed, born again, children of God, that it is only the church that is given the privilege to call God Father. To know and to understand God not only as all-powerful, all-knowing, but also as a Heavenly Father to us. Isn't that incredible? So, Father, as we gather together today, we come and we're absolutely cognizant that you are our Heavenly Father, that you are beautiful beyond comparison, worthy of our praises, our highest thoughts, our deepest emotions. We cast them upon you, we love you, we exalt you. What a privilege it is to be your church and to be gathered as your church today. Amen. Thank you, Musos. Thank you to James on the drums and Trust on vocals up on stage for the first time today. And then um, also just to say that um, we're going to grow this church one way or another and this week... Paolo and Jess had a little baby boy, uh, Luca Gabriel Asato. And so, uh, isn't that amazing? Thank you, Jesus, for the arrival of another little, another little child. We praise you for that. And then I believe, um, Haley, it's your birthday today. Is that correct? There we go. Everyone, that's Haley over there looking all embarrassed. Happy birthday, Haley. Um, just trying to make sure I get to everything I wanted to get to. Uh, one of the other things I just wanted to say is that um, this church is an incredible church. You're incredibly generous. Um, and um, we're talking about God and money today in our current series. We're going to get to that in a second as I just try and find my timer on my phone. Uh, but the other thing I want to say is that this church is um, built around uh, the heart to contribute and to be a contributor. We don't believe in oxygen thieves. We don't believe in blood suckers. We believe that we all have a contribution to make, and especially in the context of how we do church. And so right now there's someone with grade sixes and sevens up there. Uh, there's a whole bunch of other leaders up there. Uh, there are people serving us on the stage here on Fridays. There's Route 67 and Wright. Uh, there's Taste and See that's involved uh, in all kinds of things. And these things don't happen out of a vacuum. Can I just encourage you to be a contributor in the life of this church? And if you're not, two areas that I'd love to push you towards is what we just celebrated this morning as we released them. Uh, Kids Church upstairs as well as Route 67. It's great areas to get involved in, to get stuck in. And so, as we get going this morning, uh, we're, uh, I want to get going, and in the context of God and money, which is our current series, I want to talk about two tests and a tool, which is the title of my message today. Uh, and so the first test <clears throat> is a test that uh, the Lord tests us with. Uh, and so um, Proverbs 21 verse 2 says, A person may think their own ways are right, but the Lord weighs the heart. And so he weighs or he tests the heart. And so I don't know if you know this, but God is a God who tests us. And scripture is littered with examples of him coming and testing his people. The second test is, uh, is an invitation from God for us to come and test him. Uh, now scripture teaches us you should not test the Lord your God, but there is one example that I know of where in Malachi 3 verse 10 he invites us to come and test him. He says, test me in this, says the Lord Almighty, and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven. And then the third part of this message is about a tool. And so Acts 4.34 says this, There was not a needy person among them, for as many as were owners of lands or houses sold them and brought the proceeds of what was sold. And so the teaching of Jesus, the life of Jesus, the practice of the early church 
meant that money was seen as a tool to come and to do good. And so on that note, let's pray and then let's jump into it. So won't you bow your heads with me. Heavenly Father God, I thank you for this morning, for this time together, for each and every single person here. For those who are leaning in, visiting and coming and maybe learning a little bit more about us as a church. And for those who have been here for years and years, God, I thank you for each and everyone that is here. And, um, and I just ask that this morning, Lord God, more than my voice, we would hear your voice and that we would be presented before you like clay before the potter, that you would come and shape us and form us. And I pray that you would birth an expectation inside of us and that as you challenge us, we would not leave here the same today. And God, I pray that you would create in us a pure heart and that you would renew our spirits through the course of this morning. Amen. You know, just as an extension of the worship this morning, singing, I want to ask you to worship God and how you engage with this, this message this morning. And so I know some of you are maybe here for the first time, you're looking in and you've got in money and this is part three of a three-part series and there's a longer story to all of this that I'd love you to maybe go back and look at and uh, listen to. Um, but as we, as we get going, I want to talk about part one of this. And I just want to, for those of you that are new here, that are looking in, I just want to free you from any kind of expectation or anything. I want you to come and use this as a discipleship moment and a tool for you to come and maybe learn a little bit and maybe to gauge our hearts as a church and as a leadership. Uh, but for those that are recognize this church, this, this church and this community as their home, I want to ask you to lean in with a little bit more sincerity and with a little bit more uh, intentionality. And then also just lastly, for those who don't know me, uh, that are maybe here for the first time, my name is Steph and it's lovely to have this opportunity to share with you. And so part one, it's the first test. And so when you think of the test or a test, many of you are thinking of school, right? And exams and what you need to do and varsity and, you know, uh, Mark out of 100 a percentage you can fail or pass. And when we talk about a test, I don't want to think about a test in that kind of context. I want us to think more of a test that comes and gauges the substance of a thing. And so it's a little bit like a litmus test. If you think back to high school science, you know, litmus paper, you put it in a solution and you test whether it's alkaline or acidic. A bit like a pool test, right? And so this is some water from my pool. I haven't tested it for two weeks, so this morning we're going to have a live test. This is a a little strip test that tests the quality of the water. And so there's these little guys here, and all you do is you just go and you dip it in, and you pull it out, and then the colors change. And this is telling me, if I come and gauge it here, the pink at the top is telling me that my chlorine is great. Uh, Soda ash, I probably need a little bit of soda ash, but... um, the levels in my pool are pretty good, and so I'm looking good. That's a little bit like a, a litmus test. It comes and it, 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 it comes and reveals the quality or the state of that water. And this is the kind of test that we're talking about when it comes to money. It makes me think of Charlie and the Chocolate Factory. You know that Roald Dahl great of uh, Mr. Willy Wonka and his sweet empire, and he makes the best, the finest sweets in all the world. But no one knows anything about him. He's this recluse. Until one day he sets out a competition, five golden tickets, and those that find a golden ticket in the chocolate will get access to go and have a tour of his factory with none other than Mr. Willy Wonka. And so there's five kids that get these tickets, and... um, Uh, If you've read the book, most of you probably know the story, right? They go into the the factory touring with their parents and uh, and Augustus Gloop gets to the chocolate river and he can't resist and he dips in and he drinks from it even though he was told not to and he falls in and he gets sucked in the tube. And then, uh, what what was the next one? Veruca Salt, she gets sucked into a rubbish chute and uh, Violet gets turned into a blueberry and Mark TV gets turned into a little three inch little man that has to be stretched out again and all they had to do was come uh, and obey Mr. Willy Wonka and not be greedy and they couldn't do that except for Charlie who was able to come and do it and at the end of it because Charlie passed the test because actually it was a test Mr. Willy Wonka wanted to hand his factory over to a worthy soul that he could trust, 
but he knew you wouldn't be greedy. And so Charlie comes and passes the test and he gets the factory and the empire at the end of the, the day. And so it's a test in that kind of way that comes and measures the state of our hearts. That's what money is. A test of the state of our hearts. Now tests are not uncommon to God and to Scripture. And the very first test that I can think of is in fact in the book of Genesis with Adam and Eve where God comes and uh, he says to them, right, I've made you, here we go, I want to come and I want to give you all of this. These trees and these plants and this fruit and this food and these lands and these animals and all of it. Go and name it. Have fun. Take dominion and multiply. But this, don't touch this. Do not eat from the avocado tree, which back then was known as the tree of knowledge of good and evil. And so he comes, God comes and he places a test right in the middle of the garden there. And so how many of you know that true love is a choice, not a feeling? And the tree was a permanent test to see who who they would choose. And so I abstained from eating from the tree and it would show that they chose God. But more importantly, it would reveal the state of their hearts that they truly loved God eat from the tree, and it would not only show that they didn't choose God, but more importantly, reveal the state of their hearts that they didn't truly love God or trust God. And so as we venture further into Scripture, we see that Noah was tested with the ark. We see that Job was tested when he lost everything. Abraham was tested when he was asked to sacrifice his son. Moses was tested when he was asked to go back to Egypt. And Pharaoh was tested with the ten plagues. The twelve spies were tested with scoping out the promised land, and the Israelites were tested daily with manna in the wilderness and other tests. And David was tested when he could have taken Saul's life, but he didn't. <clears throat> and Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were tested in the fiery furnace, and Daniel in the lion's den, and Hosea when he was asked to marry a prostitute, and on and on and on. And even in the life of Jesus, we see that he was tested in the wilderness. <clears throat> And so what all of these tests have in common is that they're testing the state of the heart, the quality of the heart. Will they choose God and prove that they truly love Him or will they leave God and show that they don't love Him? And so these are all pretty unique and circumstantial, largely one-off tests. They're unique to the individuals and they're largely not repeated. But can you think of any tests within Scripture that are common to all and repetitive? I can. It's in the form of generosity called tithes and offerings. And so the biblical practice of tithing originates in the tithe commands within the laws of the Torah given to ancient Israel. Leviticus 27 says, Every tithe of the land, whether of the seed of the land or of the first fruits of the trees, is the Lord's. It's holy to the Lord. And so you may be aware that a tithe means a tenth, means 10%, but what is interesting is that, according to Tim Mackey from the Bible Project, 10% was not what the Israelites were called to give. They were called to give a tenth of the produce of their land to the temple annually. They were also supposed to save up a tithe, another tenth, once a year, and hold a big town party and invite well all the poor people and Levites. And also simultaneously saving up for every three years another tithe that you donate to the local equivalent of a food bank. And so at a a minimum, an Israelite is tithing some 23% of their total income. And so this seems like a large percentage, right? Joe, won't you come up here, please? Everyone, this is Josiah. Uh, He is going to come and stand here and help me with a demonstration. More than that, he's got less than two weeks with us as he ships off to America to Bible school there. And so um, it's a faith venture where he's trusting God uh, to help him do that financially and otherwise. And so uh, not only did I bring you up here right now just to tell everyone that, but I also want to use you in a demonstration. And so... Joe, I want you to stand over here. I want you to put your hands out and I want you to tell me how much money do you have in your hands? 
Okay, nothing. Okay. I now want you to stand over here and I want to give you some money. Okay. I want you to quickly count it for me. Tell me how much money is in there. Okay. A thousand rand. Okay. Now I want you to go stand over there. Joe, would you be willing to give me 10% of that back? Thank you. Would you be willing to give me another 10% so I total 20%? Thank you. Would you be willing to give me another 10%? Okay, thank you kindly. And was it easy to give me this money? Yeah. Okay. Okay, you're done. You can go sit. So, as Joe goes and sits, all of you are wondering. (laughs) You want to be in the next demonstration? Great. So all of you, as, as Joe goes and sits down, you're wondering to yourselves, okay, he's got that money, you know, is Steph going to ask for it afterwards? You know, he's going to ask for it back, this is prearranged, he's going to ask for it, and, and the truth is I'm not. Joe, that's for you. Okay. And, um, no, you should clap if it was like 7,000 rand or something like that. And by the way, Joe needs more money. So to get his plane ticket and to get there, uh, you can help him with that. But here's the thing, is that as he's going down and sitting down, you're thinking, is that mo- yes, that money is for him. And then you're saying, like, Byron over there, man, why wasn't I chosen? Because I could use that money. Uh, most of you, if not all of you, are saying, I wish that was me, because I could do with that little bit of money. I wanted that thousand rand. Seven hundred rand could have gone far. You know what? None of you are thinking, man, I wanted that thousand rand. You're saying, I would have wanted that 700 rand. Here's the thing. When we come and we look at that 23% that Israel was paying, and we say, man, that's a large percentage. If you're sitting there and saying that, you're saying it from step two with a thousand rand in your hand, saying, wow, to give 300 rand away is a lot. But if you start at step one, where there's nothing in your hands, and you end up at step three where there's 700 rand in your hands, you're not only saying, that's okay, but you're also coming and showing that you're trusting God as your provider. But when you come and you position yourself here and you're saying, wow, I had a thousand rand, and now I've only got 700 rand left, you're positioning yourself in such a way that you are your own provider, and any kind of generosity is a cost to you. You see, before Joe came up, he didn't have anything. When he went back down, he had 700 rand. And so it is with us in life. We come into this world with nothing and we'll leave with nothing. And so this tithe that the Israelites had of 23% was mandated as law, instituted in the Old Covenant. It was an ongoing test designated to expose the state of their hearts. But more than that, to continually draw them to a place of trusting God as their provider. And so every time they gave money, every time they came and gave their first fruits, they would come and they would make a a declaration, God, I trust you. But more than that, they would also, as they gave that money away, they would laugh at it and say, (laughs) you do not control me, I control you. I do not serve you, you serve me. And so you will come and serve the purposes of my life according to what God is calling me to do and to get done, rather than me come and serve my money and to come under the power of money in my life. And so the tithe is a test to come and expose the state of the heart. Not only comes to us within the law of Moses, but actually predates the law of Moses by according to scripture, some 500 years. I don't know if you know that. So for some people, they'll say, oh, the tithe is law and it's Old Testament. But 
Genesis 14 verse 18, it says this, And Melchizedek, king of Salem, if you read Hebrews, it will come and talk about Melchizedek being a reference to Jesus. And so this could very well be Jesus coming and visiting Abram. And so he comes, he brought out bread and wine, this looks like communion here. And he was a priest of God Most High, and he blessed him and said, Blessed be Abram by God Most High, possessor of heaven and earth, and blessed be God Most High, who has delivered your enemies into your hand. And Abram gave him a tenth of everything. This is 500 years before the law. A little bit later, Jacob does the same thing. And then if we shoot forward all the way to Jesus, some 1,900 years later, in Matthew 23, verse 23, it says, Woe to you, this is Jesus speaking, he says, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you tithe mint and dill and cumin and have neglected the weightier matters of law and justice and mercy and faithfulness. These you ought to have done without neglecting the others. And so he's saying, these you ought to have done, you should have come and given yourself to the law and to justice and to mercy and to faithfulness without neglecting the others to come and to neglect giving that tithe. And so effectively Jesus is endorsing that tithe there. And so what is my point? My point is Proverbs 21 verse 2, a person may think their own ways are right, but the Lord weighs the heart. Proverbs 17 says, the crucible is for silver, the furnace is for gold, and the Lord tests hearts. Psalm 66 verse 10 says, For you, O God, have tested us. You have tried us as silver is tried. And so at the heart of tithing is an ongoing test designed to expose the state of our hearts. God in his supernatural wisdom and knowledge not only knows who does and doesn't tithe, but he also knows the motives of those that do. He sees those who give begrudgingly, He sees those who give conditionally, and he sees those that come and give religiously. And really, what he's looking for is those who give lovingly. Part two, the second test. And so if the first test is God testing us, then the second test is an invitation from God to come and test him. And so Malachi 3 verse 6, the scripture is going to be on the screen and I'm just going to, as I read it, I'm going to stop and just make comments. And so what's happened in the context of Israel is they've just come out of exile, out of Babylon. Uh, They were in exile because their hearts had wandered off and they had abandoned God and God sent them into exile to come and teach them a lesson. They come back and Malachi the prophet comes and He comes and he says this now. He says, For I, the Lord, do not change. So he's speaking, God's speaking through Malachi. And God is saying, I am God, I do not change. He's saying, I am the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow. A very fancy word that theologians use for this is immutable. God is immutable. He does not change. And why this is important is God cannot get any better than he already is. He is the best version of himself. He is the superlative God of all gods. He is the God of gods, the Lord of lords. And at the same time, he cannot get worse or degenerate in any kind of way. He doesn't have moods where he comes and he's like, oh, well, today I stubbed my toe and I'm going to wipe out that nation over there because my toe is sore. No, he's the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow. And this is important because he goes on and he says, Therefore you, O children of Jacob, are not consumed. You see, God comes and he makes promises to Israel, to David and to Abram, saying, From you I will come and bless the nations of the world. From you, you will find that the king, the everlasting king shall come. And so God has made promises that he cannot change his mind on. And so he's saying, it's a good thing that I'm a God who cannot change. Because if I was a God who could change, I would change my mind on those things and I would consume you. Why? Because, verse 7, from the days of your fathers you have turned aside from my statutes and have not kept them. 
The NIV says ordinances. You've turned away from my statutes, my ordinances. And an ordinance is, it comes from the word ordinary. And really it's a, it's a principle of ordinary behavior that people are called to. And so you've turned away from my statutes, my ordinances, my principles of ordinary behavior that I expect my people to come and to live by. And so, and so you've turned aside from them and you've not kept them. And then he says, return to me and I will return to you. We sang a song a moment ago with a reference to the prodigal son. Really, it shouldn't be the prodigal son, it should be the prodigal God. Prodigal means lavish, abundance. And, and the father in the story is the prodigal father who is so generous to his son. And so his son is from far off moping as he comes back and he's like, even to be a servant in my father's house, I'll go and I'll bow down and let me just draw this out as much as I can. And the father, he's standing there and he's looking. Every day he's looking and then he sees his son from far off. And while the son is moping, the father begins to run. And there's something about God that as soon as he sees something turn in our hearts, we might take an inch of a step and God will come and rush a million miles to us because he sees something in our hearts. And so this is what he's saying here, return to me and I will return to you. With lavishness I will return to you, says the Lord of hosts. But you say, how shall we return? And then God comes and says, will man rob God? Yet you are robbing me. But how, you say, how have we robbed you? Well, this is how you have in tithes and contributions. This was a very simple ordinance that God had placed in the pathway of all of his people. But I want to come and make two notes here. The first is the repetition of the word rob. Do you know what the distinction is between rob and theft? Theft is when you come in and no one knows and you take it and you go away and sometime later you come and you look in and you're like, where is my laptop? I thought I left it here. Or where is that shirt? It was on the washing line. Now it's gone. And so that is a thief that has come and stolen and only later do you recognize. But when you come and rob someone, it's like me coming to Josh putting a gun to him and taking his phone. He knows that he has been robbed because he's present in that theft, in that moment. And so when we come and we don't tithe, it's not like we're thieves that come and sneak in. God is acutely aware of the fact that we're not tithing. But more than that, it's also, if we come and we understand it, it's His. It's not ours. And so this thing here comes back to the, the start of the scripture where it says, um, it says here, um, from days of father, you've turned aside from my statutes, from my ordinances. What is the ordinance they've stepped aside from? From tithing. And the issue with tithing is not that God wanted their money or needed their money. It's that he wanted their hearts. And the money was a, a test to come and expose where their hearts were at. And so he wanted them to come back to the ordinances of being generous with their finances because he wasn't after their money, he was after their hearts. He wanted them to come and choose him and to trust him. And them coming and being generous with their money was indicative of their hearts coming back and returning to him. And so don't get lost on tithes and offerings here. Come and recognize that God is calling back his people to come and trust him and love him first. And so then it goes on in verse 9 and it says, You are cursed with a curse for you are robbing me, the whole nation of you. And so with this line here, I want us to understand that this isn't a curse that God comes and says, Well, if you won't tithe, I'm going to curse you because you've been naughty. As if God is a vindictive and stingy, mean old man. Now what it is, is that God comes to Adam and Eve and says, Have all of this! but not this one thing here. And Adam and Eve had a choice. And in that moment they said, oh, we could have all of this, but you know what, we're going to choose to have this. And they didn't realize it. They didn't do the mass of it. But effectively, if they chose this, they would come and they would stay in the abundant provision of God, being empowered by God, being sustained by God. 
but they chose rather to come and to make themselves their providers, to sustain themselves, to carry themselves, to empower themselves. And the choice that they meant, meant they stepped out of the blessing of God into their own provision, and that own provision is a curse over their lives. And so the curse here is not of an old stingy man saying, well, I'm going to get you back. It's of people saying, well, actually, I choose not to trust God. I choose to trust myself and hold on to my stuff. And so long as our hearts are stingy and selfish and holding on to our, 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 our things as if they belong to us, we will have to come and sustain ourselves and provide for ourselves and empower ourselves. And that is the curse. But when we come and we trust God, we come under His provision and under His blessing. And so it's not a stingy God as much as it's a choice we can make that Adam and Eve make and that we make on a continual basis. Not least of all with how we operate with our money. And then it goes on in verse 10 and it says, Bring the full tithe into the storehouse that there may be food in my house and thereby put me to, to the test, says the Lord of hosts, if I will not open the windows of heaven for you and pour down for you blessing until there is no more need. And so God is saying, you can either come and carry on on yourself on the curse of your own provision, work in the ground that is cursed, or you can come and trust me and trust that I will meet your needs. So he says, bring the full tithe into the storehouse. And so in the context of Israel, the storehouse in the Old Testament was the temple. And that would come and provide for the Levites and the priests and their families to make sure that they had a living. And it goes on and it says, that there might be food in my house. And so this food wasn't simply food to feed the Levites and the priests, but it was the spiritual food that the Levites and the priests would come and preside over. And so as we come and we move that into the context of the New Testament, at least I believe and I understand it like this, that the storehouse in the Old Testament, which is the temple, is in fact the church today. And so in the context of the New Testament, I, I understand the storehouse to be the church. And not only, not any old church out there, there's lots of churches out there, but the church that feeds you, that is responsible for giving you spiritual food, that provides spiritual covering for you and your family. And so there are people that are looking in today saying, maybe this could be my church, my family. I want to encourage you to find a church whose leaders you trust, whose vision and values you can buy into. And if you can't, go find, if you can't do that here, go find one somewhere else. But go somewhere that you can come and lean in and trust the leaders and you can allow them into your lives to come and to feed you and to bring spiritual covering over you and to come and fight and contend for you and to knit you into a community that would be good for your souls. And so when you tithe, you're effectively making a declaration that you trust God, that you love God, and that He is your provider. And when we do that, we can test Him and test His provision in our lives. This is the opportunity that we're called to here. God's saying you can go on your own and you can try and provide for yourselves. Or you can come and you can trust me and you'll see if I don't provide for you. But let me just come and highlight in big, bold letters that very last line there that says, pour down for you a blessing. Many people stop there and they're like, blessing? Yeah, boy, yes, this is amazing. But it comes and says, until there is no more need. We need to come and we need to qualify what that need is. For some of us, our needs exceed what God thinks we need. And we'll need, never satisfied with what God gives us. But we need to understand that there is a call for us towards godliness and contentment. Content with what God comes and gives us. Not clutching, not grabbing, not grasping. And so what is my point? Malachi 3 verse 10 says, Test me in this, says the Lord Almighty, and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven. And so we're invited to come and test God, to trust Him. And that when we trust Him, He'll meet our needs. And 
often our fear is that if we tithe, we'll go without. But part of that is coming and cutting the cloth so we land in a space that is contentment embodied with what God has given us. What if I do go without? Well, God is saying, if you tithe, trust in me. If you can make a plan to cut the cloth to honor me with your finances, I will honor you and I will stretch out your oil like I did for the widow. I will take the two fish and five loaves and multiply them out. I will come and put the coin in the fish's mouth to come and pay the temple tax like he did for Jesus. All of these are not examples of lavish abundance and riches. This is coming and meeting our needs. Is everyone with me? You're hanging in there. Great. Part three. The tool. And so we see that money is not only a test and another test, but also a tool. And so if we quickly have a look at the story of Zacchaeus. Do you guys know the story of Zacchaeus, the wee little man that climbed the tree from coming to your house for tea? You know that one? And so... uh, No, I will not sing it for us. Um... And so, um, and so Zacchaeus is a tax collector. He is despised by the Israelites. So he's an Israelite, but he's despised by his own people. Number one, because he works for the Romans. Number two, he comes, and the job he does for the Romans is he collects money from his people. Number three, he has a prerogative to come and add on top of what he collects for the Romans a percentage for himself, and he can set that however high he wants, and he can take that. And so he's hated by everyone. And so uh, Jesus comes to his house and everyone's so upset by the scandal. You know, Jesus going to a sinner's house and there's this interaction that happens and then in Luke 19 verse 8 we pick this up and it says, And Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord, Behold, Lord, the half of my goods I give to the poor and if I have defrauded anyone of anything, I will restore it fourfold. And Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house. This is an incredible scripture that comes and embodies much of what I'm trying to get across today. And as we listen to it, we might be at risk of coming and saying, this is incredible. Zacchaeus, just by virtue of his generosity, bought salvation. And with salvation, I just want to qualify, this isn't salvation as in he was hungry and he was saved because now he would get a loaf of bread or that he would now be loved by the people in his community. This is salvation in the context of of heaven and earth, of his own soul, of his very soul. And we might come and misread this into the, in the sense that he's saying, Jesus is saying, you can come and buy salvation by being generous. But as we come and we journey through Scripture from beginning to end, and especially with the help of, of the epistles, we come and we realize that, that you cannot come and buy salvation. You cannot come and buy salvation. You cannot even work out salvation through your own works and deeds. And so coming and giving money, being generous with that, is coming and doing something in your own strength that is in itself a work. And we know that we're not saved by our works, but by the work of Christ. And so we're not saved by our works, so we cannot boast in ourselves, but we're saved by the workmanship of Christ on the cross. And so we're saved by Christ alone, In faith alone, by Christ alone. And so the only thing that we bring to salvation is the sin that we save from and our faith in Jesus Christ. Nothing else. Nothing else. And so this isn't Zacchaeus coming and buying his salvation by being generous. There's something deeper at hand here. You see, Jesus is seeing money as a test here, coming and exposing the state of his heart. And he's coming and saying, man, I'm going to give back fourfold to those that I stole from and I'm going to come and give half my possessions to the poor. It's exposing a a state of his heart that has shifted and changed us so quickly from being greedy to being generous, from being clutchy and grabby to releasing and letting go. And so here we see the test being unfolded that Zacchaeus comes and passes that Jesus is able to say, through what he's discerning, that there's been a shift in Zacchaeus' heart. 
that no longer does he trust himself as a provider, but he trusts God as his provider and loves him. And you see, the result of the test with money, always, it always comes back to generosity and letting go. And so he comes and he lets go. He releases. And when he does that, he gives to the poor and all of a sudden that money becomes a tool to come and change the lives of those who do not have. And so Acts 4.34, we read it earlier, there was not a needy person among them. This is the early church. There was not a needy person among them. Just think for, of that for a moment. I, I didn't want to do this, but I'm going to do it anyway. I didn't want to do it because it's an indictment on us. Don't put your hand up, but are there any needs in the house today? <laughs> Anyone short of rent money? Anyone need school fees money? Anyone who's got medical bills that need to be covered? Anyone's budget not meeting? Anyone not got food in their fridge? You know, I think there'd be a few people that would come and raise their hands. There'd be a hangover lot. And yet it's saying there was not a needy person among them in the early church. That is a radical statement. Not a needy person among them. Not flashy Lamborghini kind of needs, but basic needs. And how is that possible? How could they come and do it? Because of this, for as many as were owners of lands or houses sold them and brought the proceeds of what they sold. The reason why there were no needs was because there was a lavish generosity within that community to not hold on, but a contentment around the smaller things, leading towards godliness leading towards generosity that meant others could be lifted up. So what is my point? My point is, is that money is a tool that can make a real and tangible difference in the lives of people and in the world around us. It really is. And so Jesus calls the rich man that builds bigger barns to put all his riches in, a man that we would call wise and that we would model our lives after. He comes and calls him a fool. Because that very night he would lose his life and then what would his wealth be worth? He should have instead seen his earthly riches as a tool to come and store up for himself eternal riches, heavenly riches that cannot be taken away. Remember the saying by Jim Elliot, He is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. And so for us, God comes and he blesses us. And with the margin that we have, He expects us to bless others. And when we bless others, we have an ability to come and to use that money as a tool to uplift their lives, to make a difference. And so, as I bring this into land, I just want to have some closing, closing thoughts here. Number one, money is like a litmus test for the heart. Test in the state of our heart. What is the state of your heart? Are you giving? How much are you giving? How do you give? Reluctantly or cheerfully? Number two, the tithe belongs to the Lord. And so for those of you that are tithing and giving, I just would love for you to just see, you know, you're not giving to New Gen. I know that we're the, we're the intermediary, that we might receive that tithe, and we'll talk about that in a moment. But when you click send or pay or you put the by the way there's a black money box at the fire hydrant in the back there for those that that want to give cash you're welcome to do it there um, but you'd know as a church we don't come and talk about money often we don't take up an offering every week we trust you with your stuff we, stuff, we trust you with your journey so we don't want to be a church that talks about it every week and makes a big thing about it but we also don't want to be a church that doesn't talk about it and so every now and then we have moments like this where we come and we talk strongly about it and we leave it up to you. I'm not, I, guys, I don't even have access to the bank accounts. I don't know who tithes and who doesn't tithe. I don't want access. I don't want to know that between you and God. And for that very reason, when you give, don't see it like you're giving to Nugent or to pay my salary. You're giving to God. And we'll talk about that in a moment, about how tithe is not given, but it's brought. Number two, the tithe belongs to the Lord, right? And so every tithe of the land, whether of seed or of the land, of, or the fruits of the trees, Leviticus 27, is the Lord's. Tithe is always brought. It's never given. When we give, it implies that we own it. When we come and we bring it, 
It implies it belongs to someone else. Tithe is the Lord's. Number three, the tithe is wisdom, not a law. And so I just want to free anyone here today that might misconstrue what I'm saying and what I'm challenging you with as me laying down the law and saying you have to come and tithe. You don't have to. I just want to free all of you from that, especially those of you that are kind of looking in and you don't consider this your church or your house. You, you need to come and you need to weigh that up. And when you do, then you need to consider this. So you're free from that. But at the same time, those of you that are locked in here, I'm not going to check. I don't know. This is up to you. It's not a law that I lay down. And even then, if we come and we look in the New Testament and we come, there is something to say that tithing was the Old Testament and it was the law. But what we come and we see is underneath, undergirding this law, this ordinance, this ordinary principle, principle of ordinary behavior is wisdom. That goes back all the way to Abraham and probably even before that. And that wisdom is something I want to come and call you to. Don't come and buy into Steph now saying we need your money because we've got expenses to cover. We do. But that's not why I want you to give. I don't want your money. I want your heart. I don't want something from you. I want something for you. And so the tithe is wisdom, not a law. Don't feel like you have to. Don't feel like you're going to lose your salvation or be a lesser Christian because of it. Come and do it because you're convicted around it, because you see the wisdom of it. Number four, the tithe is set, proportional, and designated. And so a tithe means a tenth, it's set, it's standardized, it's the same for everyone. And the reason why this is important, and I'm going to try to do this quickly in an illustration, is several years ago uh, when we were leading a life group on a Wednesday night, we, Kaz and I said we're actually going to stop leading a life group for a season so we can free up time to get with leaders and different people in different groups. And, um, and so, do you know, in the course of that year, do you know how many Wednesday nights we used to do that? Maybe two or three. Because the expectation wasn't there around a life group, a standard commitment that we would come to and be a part of. And so because it was left up to us and because life was busy, we were like, oh, we'll do it next time. We'll do it next time. And we didn't get to it and we didn't get to it. And there wasn't this rhythm. There wasn't this expectation. There wasn't this accountability in it. And so a tithe is set proportional and designated because it comes and it understands that we might start well and we might give a tenth. We might even give more than that. But when the tacky hits the tar, and when we're under pressure, we'll revert to stinginess or nothing at all. With that in mind, I want to just come and say, as your wealth increases, and for many of you that's going to happen, learn to come and limit the standard of living, and park it at a reasonable space. And as your uh, income increases, begin to be more and more generous with that. Some of you might know that we've got piggy banks for our girls, it's a three-part piggy bank, and when we give them their pocket money, we come and we give them, if it's 100 rand, we give it in 10 100 rand notes, so we sit there, and for the youngest ones, 10, 10 sorry, 10, 10 rand notes. <laughs> um, um, and for the youngest one, we'll say, okay, uh, here's the 100 rand, this first 10 rand, where does that go? And then there's another separate piggy bank. That one goes to God. And this next one, that one goes to savings. And when can you touch those savings? Never. And then this third 10 rand, where does that go? That goes to generosity. You get to share that and, uh, and give it to other people. And then, and then we say, okay, so you've given 30 away. How much are you left with? 70. I've got 70 rand. Yay. And we're just trying to coach them from this point to kind of move towards that space. To just be honest with you, in terms of the life phase we're at and the pressure we're under, we're nowhere near giving 30% of our income away. But we are more than 10%. Which brings me to the next one, number five. The tithe is the training wheels for generosity. And so in the Old Testament, it was this 23% basic expectation. And with what little grace there was in the Old Testament, we come to the New Testament. And how much more grace is there not in the New Testament? And so if they were giving 23% in the Old Testament, we should be aiming to be giving way more than that in the New Testament. My point is this, is that for me, for us, how we understand tithing, giving, generosity, is that the tithe is the first tenth. We give it back to New Gen. And then after that, we've got freedom to come and to give and to be generous as we feel led 
And so we give to taste and see, and we give here and there, or whatever it might be. There's a freedom after that. And so, and so, um, and so Randy Alcorn says, The tithe can become an idol to set upon a pedestal to admire. It is often a dangerously tempting resting place rather than a minimal starting place. Much of Christian community thinks of tithing as a high and lofty perch that only a few fanatical radicals have reached over the years of struggle, rather than seeing, seeing it as the bottom or beginning place. Number six, money is a powerful tool. Um, Josh, can you throw, show that video clip quickly, please? Money is a powerful tool. Тихо ме. Ел ти се свиджа машина. Ага. Ел знаеш ти с тим райте. Ага. Ай да вам покажа. Браво. Браво. Добре, добре, прегрия често, чуеш? И то си све направил за сват времена, кажеш. Да. Браво. Браво. Слака част. Браво. Браво, Аван. Браво. Money is a powerful tool. Uh, I want to just with this point and I'm nearly done. Hang in there. Um with this point, I want to come and just make the, make the point that we can give money away and it can be half as effective, 10% as effective. It can be a drop in the ocean in terms of how effective it could be. Imagine that guy switched that thing on and allowed that thing to come and to, but actually he's using it to you know, a tiny percentage of its potential. And so when we've got money that we have as excess, we need to come and put it in places where it can be used in a powerful way. And so for some of us, as we stop at a robot and we give that person there, there is a need there. But I've got to say, I've stopped doing that and I've stopped feeling guilty about it because when I give 10 rand there and 10 rand there and 10 rand there, it amounts to maybe 100 rand in a month. But what Kaz and I do is we come and we sponsor one family a month through Taste and See, where it's not just a handout, but it's a hand up. And so in that way, my money is a tool to come and you know, stave off maybe uh, a bit of hunger today as I give it to the guy at the robot. But when I come and I give it to Taste and See, I'm coming and I'm putting it in a safe place that takes that money and multiplies it out in an in a incredibly powerful way. And so I want to encourage you to come and make sure that you give your money to a, a, a trustworthy source or organization or whatever it might be. And so I hope that as a church we prove ourselves to be that and that you are here because you trust us as leaders. And so with financial feedback two weeks ago, we're trying to do that, to uh, see that you trust us and trust us with your money. And if you don't trust us, you need to go somewhere else where you find leadership that you do trust. Because it doesn't make sense for you to be here and you don't trust us. And more than that, with the, uh, the addition, the offering, the tithes and offering, the extra, give it to some place or some source that, that is trustworthy and worthwhile. And so, as a church, we... we um, if you put money in our account and you say it's for taste and see, it goes to taste and see and it's used there. And at this stage, we haven't used any of that money for salaries or anything other than just coming and looking after the poor. If you say a contribution into our bank account that says widows, we make sure that gets to widows. If you say the poor, we make sure it gets to the poor. If you say orphans, we make sure it gets to orphans. If you say missions, we make sure it gets there. And we want to present ourselves before God first and foremost, but also before you as a trustworthy source where you can trust us with your finances. 
But there are many other organizations out there that you can come and line up with, that you can give, that you can come and contribute to. And even individuals like Joe this morning. I mean, some of you, I'd love to, he's got some expenses that he still needs to cover, his flights over and some course fees. God has been amazing in how he's got Joe to where he is right now, just covering expenses. When he told me, I was like, Sorry, Joe, but when you told me, I was like, oh my goodness, this is bad. And it was like six weeks, and they're just about all covered. Amazing. And then lastly, uh, money is an opportunity to test God. I remember um, Kaz was looking, I can't remember the exact story, you were looking for a job with WWF, and you said... Something around, if I get this job, the increase from this current job to the salary that they're saying, I'll give that back to you for a year or something. So it was, I think it was a salary of 7,500 rand going to 10,000 rand. So it was like a 2,500 rand increase. And then when she got the job, they said, you know what, we've changed it. We're going to give you 12,500 rand. So she was able to still give God that money, but also get an increase of 2,500 rand. God just seems like he's just very, very kind. When he sees the nature of one's heart, he responds in kindness and blessing. And so as I close, I want to say, if you're not tithing, I want to urge you to begin tithing. If you're not tithing a tenth, I want to call you to tithe a tenth. If you are not tithing to New Gen and you're giving money else out out there and you consider this your house and you're getting spiritual food here, I want to call you to come and to tithe to New Gen. And, um, and I want to call you to come and to grow your tithes to tithes and offerings. Limit your spending. Cap your standard of living. And with the excess, begin to be generous with that. And begin to sow into the lives of those around you. And begin to store up heavenly tre- treasures for yourself. And as you do that, as you give, make sure you give to trustworthy people, organizations, And with all of it, it kind of comes back to Charlie and the Chocolate Factory. You know, as Charlie comes and he journeys through this factory, he gets to the end of it, and he's listened, he's obeyed Mr. Willy Wonka, and he hasn't allowed greed to get the better of him. And Mr. Willy Wonka comes and he says, here, this is all yours. And I feel like it's a beautiful metaphor for us in our journey with God. As we come and we obey him and we're not greedy, God comes and says, here, have this, have this. And you know, sometimes that blessing isn't always monetary blessing. If you had to choose between millions of rands, a house, holiday homes, and beautiful cars, or your kids coming to faith, knowing God, loving God, and spending eternity with God, which one would you choose? Every time I would choose this one. And you know, when you come and you give yourself to this, your kids are so clever and they see what you do and they see how you behave and they come and they model themselves after you and the way you behave is how they will behave and what you run after is what they will run after. And so when we come and we trust God, place ourselves underneath God, we love God and we show and do that as an example for our kids, they run in the same slipstream as us and have the benefit of going down that same road And so when we tithe and we give and God says he blesses us, it's not only meeting our everyday needs, but it's also in those moments in years to come where you say, yeah, I just don't know how my kids got here. Or maybe it was because you came and you modeled something that showed that God is first. And so I want to end with Psalm 51 verse 10, where David cries out and he prays and he says, God, create in me a pure heart. And renew my spirit. Please don't hear me today, this morning, running after your money. Don't hear God as in needing your money or running after your money. Understand Him coming and searching out your heart. And the best response that any of us can make or have is to say, God, come and create in me a pure heart. Renew my spirit. Amen. It's ten past, I went way longer than I should have, as is my norm. I'm sorry that I am this way inclined. You're incredibly gracious. 
But uh, as we finish off, uh, we're not going to finish in a song. I'm going to dismiss you guys. If you want to sit there and um, you want to just maybe do business with God, you're more than welcome to do that. I'm going to ask the back to just put a sound over the sound, a song over the sound system. But then um, just uh, with Joe, this is Joe's last Sunday here. For those of you that know Joe, um, I want us to meet over there, and we're just going to pray him off. And then the other one is uh, Josh. Um, Kevin, what's, what's his surname? I have to say that because it's like, so it's Kevin de Sillier, um, but every time I want to say de Salah for Salah. So, so Kevin de Sillier is diagnosed with malaria uh, and is pretty um, hectic. He's in high care and so things are in the balance right now. Josh, for those of you that know Kevin, Josh is going to go lead a group of people, pray for him. Uh, right now on that side. So uh, even if you don't know Kevin, go there and pray with them and let's just lift him up in prayer and trust God on that. Okay, God bless you all. Well done for coming out. If you want to sit and take a moment, free to do that. Tea and coffee over there. Guests, we'd love to meet you in the back corner over there. God bless you all. Have a great Sunday.